This is a production of Cornell University. For Cornell University's world-renowned turfgrass program, I'm Frank Rossi. And I'm Carl Scamenti. And this is episode 16 of Turf Talk, brought to you in partnership with our friends at Winfield United. Turf Talk provides just-in-time, science-based recommendations for professional turfgrass managers in the northeastern U.S. Frank, as we always do, let's start with the weather. What have we seen the past week? Where are we headed? Well, we're expecting a major shift in weather patterns, at least on the moisture front, Carl. Rainfall was a story last week with three to four plus inches in the region. Baltimore got 10 inches of rainfall. This alleviated the significant drought in much of the Northeast, where greater than 90% of the topsoil has been rated at low to very low. Uh, Air temperatures were slightly cooler to the south, warmer to the north. We actually had about three quarters to an inch of ET region wide. So there still was some drying. And that's, of course, an indication of the solar radiation. But the rainfall has now filled the soil profile. And persistent warm weather is going to lead to additional stress now that the roots are a little bit wet, especially those areas with poor drainage. So looking forward after this rainfall moves through, we're in our fifth straight week of heat stress. Mm -hmm. And the 8 to 14 day outlook is calling for increasingly warm temperatures and a return to normal rainfall. So as we head into August, Carl, there really is no rest for the weary. Yeah, so people hear all that and they're going to immediately think pests and stress. And uh, so what can we expect coming up with this, this new shot of rain and continued heat stress? Well, the drought stress relief, Carl, we're learning now what grass is able to recover active growth and what might be permanently dormant or also known as dead. Which <laughs> um, seems the chinch bug issue is big again with many turf areas and high grass areas on golf courses struggling with this surface feeding insect. Now, this feels odd because we've had endophytes that are supposedly able to supply resistance in the fescues and rye grasses. And we're either breaking down that resistance or potentially the endophyte is not present uh, in these plants that we thought were high in endophyte. So that, like last year, is creating a little bit of confusion where a lot of people were choosing endophyte resistant grasses and, and in fact not getting the breakdown now. From a weed perspective, I'd say clover uh, is having a banner year and we've been talking about that. And it's also challenging our idea of what, a, what is a weed. There are many benefits of clover in the landscape, but but for those wanting uniform appearance and good traffic tolerance, clover will not be a desired species. Now, we keep laughing uh, in our conference call every week that so many people are just mowing their full crabgrass lawns, thinking how great their lawns look. Uh, And of course, that's uh, a function of the cool season grasses all but having vanished. Um, now that wouldn't be a bad thing if if some if if crabgrass wasn't a summer annual and then turned to mud for much of the year and created all kinds of problems in urban environments. Now, again, as you said, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about diseases, and we're so fortunate to have regular interactions with Rich Buckley at Rutgers. And this week, uh, our his oddity of the week from the Rutgers trials, and they're actually having their uh, fine turf field day this week down there in New Brunswick was this cyanobacteria that seems to be causing yellow spots on some bentgrass varieties. It's not a well-understood problem. It's been reported in the past and, and, and out west by Larry Stoll of Pace Turf. But um, no controls and, and no understanding yet of how this thing behaves. But there is a fair amount of 
yellow flecking that it's occurring and it appears to be related to the presence of this cyanobacteria. But all I'd say from the disease perspective is that uh, sample volumes are breaking records. Mm -hmm. the, the return of the moisture and the high temperature has really led to uh, persistent uh, foliar and root pathogen problems. I would say we have just as much biotic stress as we have abiotic stress now. And so turf is under uh, significant amounts of stress that just spraying is not going to solve. So that makes us wonder about what our keys are for the week. Yeah. So you mentioned these root pathogens that are probably going to come in. Uh, when we talk about keys to success, we're probably going to look again at water management and drainage, right? Well, there's no doubt about the fact that if you had damaged root systems a, a month and a half ago from Summer Patch, they might like this water that's there, but and it might feel like you're good without the hose for a while, but the reality is they're very shallow rooted. And if, if you're taking three inch soil moisture measurements, you know, with your normal three inch probe, like many golf courses do, you're probably going to see moisture present in that reading. But at the surface, you're likely to still see wilt. So I would still, with any drying weather, I mean, the fact that we got three quarters of an inch of ET last week is an indication that there is still demand and a vapor pressure deficit for the water to be pulled out of that system. And with shallow root systems, I wouldn't go to sleep at all on this issue uh, unless I had native soil, sand-based systems prone to hydrophobic soils and now filled with shallow root systems, Carl, are still going to need nursing uh, with a hose or with targeted watering, uh, particularly in sand-based systems. Now, you get on native soil systems like athletic fields and lawns, you know, they're probably struggling on the other end where they just can't get their feet out of, they can't get their roots out of the wetness. So, again, I would say water management, either trying to get rid of what you got if you can or being careful to not get caught thinking all is well when you have a damaged shallow root system that can't access the moisture an inch and a half to two inches down. So, you know, a little bit tricky uh, key for this week, but because you wouldn't think water management would be something you'd have to pay attention to, but especially those in sand-based systems, Carl, I think they're really still in for quite a bit of stress ahead. Yeah. So then finally, as we go into the sage advice, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about fungicides and, and protection when, when you're looking at foliar diseases this week. Yeah, and, and I'd say this is for both of us now. I think the sage advice is going to come from some things that you've been noticing from working with the Smith-Kearns model, our forecast dollar spot model, and just the whole idea of using predictive models to schedule your fungicide. Certainly, high-value turf needs fungicide protection at this time of year. High-risk conditions are leading to persistent breakdown of this protection, and many are tightening up their application intervals and using higher EIQ products. And an excellent, as we know, an excellent article on EIQ, on the Environmental Impact Quotient, was just published in the Metropolitan Golf Course Superintendent's T-Degree magazine by Mike McCall, their executive director. And this is the time of the year when we reserve the use of the higher EIQ products and also where we like to tie them to predictive model use, Carl. So can you elaborate a little bit on your recent experience in utilizing both the forecast model and the Smith-Kearns model? Yeah, so we have a, a dollar spot model in conjunction with the Northeastern Regional Climate Center that you and, and Art Gaetano from our Climate Center developed. And this is really a pretty simple model. So you can go online, you can look at a map, and it'll have either a green, yellow, or red dot. Green meaning 
there's not much chance of a dollar spot outbreak. Yellow meaning there's a marginal chance, red being obviously a severe chance. Uh, so when you look at that model, you can look a week out in the forecast and say, okay, I'm going to see a little bit more red or maybe in the later in the week. But, you know, on Monday and Tuesday, it's green. So if my protection is running out, maybe on Monday, I might be able to hold off for a couple days. Uh, and that's a good way to kind of introduce yourself to the predictive models. It's a very simplified system. It's very visual. Uh, now, the Smith-Kearns model, which came out this this uh, winter, is very uh, is more quantified. So there's a zero to 100% probability and there's a, an equation and you'll have to track the weather a little bit more precisely. Uh, but once you graduate maybe from that NRCC model, then you can use this Smith-Kearns model where I can put a number to the probability every single day and I can track that probability and I can start noticing when's the exact number where I'm going to see dollar spot. So, so you're actually doing this right now at our Cornell golf course and, and have started to um, look at the, the, um, the possible, the, the potential for uh, infection. And while the Smith Kearns people are suggesting uh, 25%, mm -hmm. you're, you're seeing that maybe in some cases we can be 35% before we have to intervene. So can you talk a little bit about just what it means to look at, this thing over time mm -hmm. and base some of your decisions on it from what you're seeing so far yeah so I've been working with the superintendent at the Cornell golf course David Hicks and at the beginning of the year we basically just tracked the Smith Kearns dollar spot probability every single day we went out and looked and observed and we just kind of noted okay when are we seeing dollar spot let's go back and look at the the number we were seeing on Smith Kearns and so he's got uh, step cut fairways and greens and so for each surface we began noticing, okay, here's when we're seeing dollar spot on untreated areas. So now we've kind of developed these thresholds of, okay, on his step cut, when the probability is 50%, that's when we're seeing dollar spot there. On fairways, it's a little bit lower, maybe 30, 30%. Uh, and on greens, it's lower than that, maybe 25% is the number right. there. So right. we kind of develop these thresholds and then we look at, you know, when he has his fungicide protection down, he can look at the forecast and say, well, you know, it's my protection's running out, but I'm seeing dollar spot's going to be 10 to 15% for the next week. So I can hold off. I don't have to exactly right. continually reapply. I can wait a couple of days. Uh, and and at the other end of it, and at the other end of it, if it looks like the risk is spiking up mm -hmm. and you know you've let your controls pass their normal interval, and it looks like based on the forecast, you're going to get five or six days of pretty intense pressure, mm -hmm. again, back to tying it to our higher EIQ products, it might be where we would have a real prescription and justification for using those higher risk products. So imagine that, Carl, sage advice. Yeah. You've even caught on to the sage advice That's thing. Okay. So why don't we wrap it up for this week? Yeah, as always, uh, you know, sage advice is a great portion of our program. We got to talk about the EIQ and, and the Met uh, Tea to Green publication as well. So we'll link all that in our Twitter account when we, when we post this podcast. Thanks, Frank, as always, for the sage advice. And thank you to our listeners for listening to our 2018 Turf Talk podcast series brought to you just in time by Cornell University in partnership with our friends at Winfield United. You can always find us online at turf.cals.cornell.edu and Twitter and Facebook as well. As always, we'd love your feedback and encourage you to join the conversation by leaving a review or comment. For Turf Talk, I'm Carl Scamenti. And I'm Frank Rossi. Have a great week. This has been a production of Cornell University on the web at cornell.edu.